0: I believe that God is calling us to experience what I, I call the best of things in the worst of times. Dickens began his famous novel, It Was the Best of Times, It Was the Worst of Times. And if you are an English major, you can correct me, it could have been, It Was the Worst of Times, It Was the Best of Times. But Christians know that there is hope and purpose, that there is a guiding hand, that there is a God in heaven. And a great man of God, Elisha, is an example of what it means to experience the power of God in an unusual way. Pastor John Garippa has been teaching about Elijah. And when I called him a couple of weeks ago, I shared with him about how I had felt led to preach about Elisha. Now, of Elisha's many miracles, he experienced the grace of God, and in those 18 miracles, at least 13 of them deal with life, sustaining and giving life. Elijah, his mentor, was a great man of God. His name meant Jehovah is God, and his ministry was confrontation of the idolatry, the sin, and you've been learning about Elijah, the prophet. And so, when I shared with uh, John Garippa about Elisha, he said, that's amazing. I didn't even know he'd been preaching about Elijah. And so we have a beautiful spirit-led transition into a seamless study of the best of things in the worst of times. Would you take your Bible and turn with me, please, to 2 Kings chapter 2. And on the screen, it says verses 15 to 25. But I would like to read beginning with verse 5. And the entire chapter is an amazing experience. But I'd like for you to understand the context of this. The man of God was the title, the common understanding of Elisha. He was called the man of God continually. His name meant salvation is of God. No man is indispensable. No pastor is indispensable. But God wants to raise up Elisha's as well as Elijah's. And when we ask where is that man of God, Elisha asks where is the Lord God of Elijah? And we need to ask where of the Elijah's and the Elisha's of the Lord God. Jesus said to Nathaniel, you will see greater things. Would you take your Bible, either printed or digital, and stand with me? Let's read the Word of God. And you know, the Bible says we should give attendance to the reading of Scripture. That's what Paul said to young Timothy. But so many churches rarely hear the Word of God read, much more than a verse or two. And so would you allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart? I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. The sons of the prophets, this is verse 5, who were at Jericho, approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be still. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. That's what Elisha said. So the two of them went on. Now 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance, while the two of them stood by the Jordan. Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided there, and there so the two of them crossed over on dry land." When they had crossed over, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you, for but if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared of chariots, a chariot of fire and horses of fire, which separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. Elisha saw it and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, returned and stood by the bank of the Jordan. He took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the waters, they were divided there, here and there, and Elisha crossed over. Now when the sons of the prophets... These guys are clueless. You get that idea? Who were at Jericho, opposite him, saw him. They said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. They said to him, behold now, there are with your servants 50 strong men. Please let them go and search for your master, perhaps the spirit of the Lord, has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not sin. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, and that word means totally irritated, he said, sin. They said, therefore, fifty men, and they searched three days but did not find him. Well, duh. They returned to him while he was staying in Jericho, and he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men, that was, I told you so. Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new jar, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. He went out to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have purified these waters, and there shall not be death or unfruitfulness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word which Elisha spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up by the way, young lads came out from the city and mocked him, and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. He went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. You may be seated. My youngest daughter, Allison... And Scott, who live here in Naples, have just begun the matching and adoption of their third adopted child. They have been praying, thank the Lord, yes. We are still praying for the the mother to surrender her rights legally. But they they flew out to Phoenix to be there when the baby was born. They got the news, we were up at Blue Ridge, Georgia. Had got the news, and they immediately took a flight the next day, and 24 hours they are staying with little Lottie Marie, born three weeks early, <laughs> and uh, she is a precious little girl. Her mother was a severe drug addict, and so they are seeking to uh, we uh, sort of, uh, I guess, detox her as they do in the hospital. And from all the drugs, including meth and fentanyl, in her little system. Pray for little Lottie. But what a picture this is of our day, our culture. Every time we turn on the newspaper, on the uh, the TV, or read the newspaper—if you can find one still in existence—we hear of some other terrible thing that has happened to our country. What next, we ask? What in the world is going to happen? Every single week, we hear of mass shootings in schools and uh, churches. We see the destruction and the devastation of violent despots like Putin. We know of the danger of red China. And its encroachment at any day, we wonder what will happen with Taiwan or South Korea. And we see the awful perversion that has entered our culture. And now, 50 years later, by this time with 60 million unborn babies killed in the womb by abortion, now Roe v. Wade has been reversed. But the battle is not over. And we live in a culture, it seems to be with inflation and gas prices and everything else, the worst of times, but the best of things of God can happen. What about Elisha? He discovered the pollution solution. Now, first of all, God has a solution to the pollution of selfishness. Self-centeredness, self on the throne, and you see that in chapter 2. You see, our lives are filled with a poison of self, the greatest pollution of all, the thing that causes a young woman to become addicted and demonized by drugs. The same thing that has caused our leaders to lose our respect because of their moral lives or immoral lives. Elisha recognized in this man of God, Elijah, a tremendous sense of the Spirit of God. He had walked with him about 10 years from the time the old prophet put his mantle over the shoulders of that young farmer. He was called and he served Elijah. In chapter three, it says that he was known as the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. And he saw the Spirit of God at work in his life. And as God was preparing to call Elijah home in the most unique of ways, raptured up in a whirlwind to heaven as a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated him from young Elisha. He cried out. Elijah said, what would you ask of me? And he asked something that Elijah did not have the power to give. And that was a double portion of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12 that there are varieties of gifts, ministries and effects, but the same God who works for to each one is given The manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The great power of the Holy Spirit is now available to us in the new age of grace in the New Testament era. In the old days, the Spirit of God would come upon a prophet and then leave. But now that He is resident in us as new believers, as Romans chapter 8 and 1 John indicate, He is resident, but is He president? Is He ruling? Is He master of your life? You see, the greatest, the first thing we have to do is ask, Oh God, I want to be filled with Your Spirit. I want Your Spirit not only to be in me, but upon me. In power, in anointing for service and ministry. He's in you, but is He upon you? That's why the Lord Jesus began His ministry. And He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, quoting from Isaiah. For He has anointed me. Anointing is the word Christ. He has Christed me. He has given me the title of Messiah. But now we also have that same anointing present within us as the Word of God says in 1 John. And He wants to fill us. He wants to use us mightily in this day. According to Deuteronomy 21.17, He was asking for the law of inheritance of the firstborn. That there would be a double portion. He would have more of the Spirit of God, more of God's anointing, more of God's manifestation than even Elijah had. But it was a special inheritance a double portion that's the term that he used didn't mean he wanted to be better than Elijah or more prominent but that he would have as the firstborn son he was the son the Timothy of Paul he was the one who most uh, exemplified the mission the mission and the character of Elijah but now we have that inheritance Every single believer has that power available to us. And we ask, where is the Spirit of the Lord God at work in his Elisha's today? Now, that's the truth of the fullness of the Spirit. You've got to know that. You've got to know what your inheritance really is. But also you've got to respond to the testing that immediately comes. The moment you want to walk with God and have the power of God, you're going to be tested just like Elisha. The reason I read that lengthy passage was to show you that testing occurred literally before and after he received that that great power of the Holy Spirit. You see, God tests our dependence on him. Elijah deliberately Went from one side of the Jordan River to the other, and he—he—he he, 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 he could have been caught up in a chariot of fire and, and carried over, but no. He wanted to. He wanted Elisha to watch and to learn how to be led by the Spirit. Elijah said, "The Spirit has led me. The Lord has led me to Jericho. The Lord has led me to Bethel." And he was testing Elisha's willingness and understanding how to be guided by God. Everything we do, everywhere we go, we ought to be led by the Spirit. But then he also, when he took the mantle, that is the the cloak that fell from Elijah, he was recognizing, and all who saw him understood that whatever miracle or manifestation of god occurred was because not because of elijah or elisha but the spirit of god it's not you it's him he was dependent on god he was led by god he took that mantle and the river opened up again and he crossed over the jordan to the other side and he also was being tested in his loyalty Every follower must be loyal to a God anointed leader. And when Elijah tested him, he said, "No, you you stay here. No, no. Uh, As the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you." Three times he was willing to go all the way with this God anointed leader. God always tests our loyalty whether it's in ministry or marriage. And one of the great terrible things about the worst of this time is that marriage is no longer for covenant, but convenience. No longer because of God's Word, but because of their feelings. God calls us to loyalty, dependence on Him. And so some have, uh, some f- fail to, Know the power of the Spirit. You cannot do the best of what God has for you without His power. But, and, and here is a summary statement that I believe in each of these points we need to know. And that apply to all the ministry of Elijah, Elisha. Elisha saw the source of divine power while others only looked through a human perspective. But here's the second truth. God has a solution to the pollution of toxic doubt. And you see that in verses 15 to 18. Some have doubt about the Lord's work. And so here's the summary. Elisha saw an invisible reality, while others only saw a visible absence. When Elijah was taken up from them, the sons of the prophets, these were the guys in the Bible school of Bethel or and, uh, or Jericho, these were the sons of the prophets. They were young men being trained for ministry. But their faith was weak, and they, some of them would be frankly categorized as liberals <laughs> because they didn't believe in miracles. They thought, well, you know, I'll... Uh, uh, somehow Elijah has been taken up, and you know, this whirlwind, you know, we've heard about tornadoes, and uh, Dorothy going to Kansas, you know, or, or leaving Kansas, or whatever, and, and maybe he's been placed on a mountain somewhere. They didn't really believe in what God had done. There was human skepticism, and then they uh, they operated from human methodology. They said, we have 50 strong men, let's have a search party, and have on-site verification of where Elijah has landed. It's a UFO, perhaps. Let's verify. And then they operated out of human strength, 50 strong men. Surely those who are strongest are the best. Surely they are the ones most fit to handle this kind of situation. Always it's human methodology from human reasoning that it takes a superstar to win people. It takes a great famous athlete to have a testimony. Oh, no. And then majority opinion was a problem. Hey, all 50 of us think this should happen. And when Elisha resisted them, they persisted until he was irritated. All right, go ahead. Go send. Send out your your search team. And then they came back, they spent three days, they didn't find a thing. No Elijah. I told you so. I told you you wouldn't find him. He ain't here. He's gone. He's in heaven. And yet, majority opinion, so often, is what runs our churches or our lives. My friend John Avant was talking to a man where in a church, they had lied about a pastor and done all kinds of devious things. And John, who travels the nation with Life Action Ministry, talked to this particular deacon. He said, Well, you know, uh, it was confirmed on the basis of two or three witnesses, quoting the Bible there. And John said, Yes, but it took, it was a whole mob who voted against Jesus in favor of Barabbas way more than two or three. They can get it wrong. And so, some have doubts also about the Lord Himself. (laughs) Don't you love this picture? Who was it that ascended from earth, from out of olives to heaven? Jesus. He died, He was buried, He rose, and He ascended to heaven. There is a man in heaven, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they doubted this miracle of Elijah, it's like so many today doubting Jesus himself. Wonderful things about the Lord. One day, just as Elijah was walking and living in God's time, he was caught up into heaven that word is actually used here and the new testament equivalent of that in greek is in 1st Thessalonians you know the verse 1st Thessalonians 4:17 we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and so we will meet the lord in the air that's called the rapture by the way it's imminent it could happen at any moment and suddenly we will disappear and they i think the world will send out a search party What happened to all those disappearing Christians? Where did they go? And the New Agers will say that the earth was tilted by harmonic convergence, and somehow they just all fell off because their vibes were wrong. Who knows? Where did they go? And those who are left can't get it right because the Holy Spirit is no longer here. But God is not the author of confusion. And those who have toxic pollution of doubt will never, ever know the power of God. Doubt your doubts and believe your beliefs. But you have to know, is it Satan speaking to you or is it the Holy Spirit? And Satan is the accuser and the deceiver. He will accuse those who are saved and tell them they aren't and he will deceive those who are not saved, telling them that they are when they're not. We need the Holy Spirit. Here's the third truth. Elisha saw the possibility of a blessing, while others only saw the reality of a curse. And here's the third principle. God has a solution to the pollution of environmental judgment. You see that in verses 19 to 22. God has called us to environmental discernment. You say, Pastor, are you an environmentalist? No, I'm a bib- biblicist. But in the city of Jericho, they had an ecological disaster. The water was bad. Just think of Clint, Flint, Michigan. And their problem had started in 2004 with their water. But in Jericho a curse from god had come upon their water all the way back from joshua and when in joshua 626 he said cursed before the lord is the man who rises up and builds the city of jericho god had destroyed it and when a man named hophni tried to both his firstborn son and his youngest son died suddenly It was part of that. It wasn't that Elisha or Joshua or any of the others cussed them out. It wasn't pronouncing an occultic curse. The the curse uh, verse in in the Word is always a pronouncement of judgment by God's decree. It's something God does. Even when you look at that word about the bear. Uh, bears in the latter part of this chapter. And so they came to Elisha. He had crossed over the Jordan. He had that power of the Spirit of God upon him. And even those liberal, immature students recognized him. They bowed before him. They saw him as their leader now. And he walks into the city. And the political leaders, that's what the men of the city means, they said, we need help. You know, when politicians go to preachers for help, you know things are desperate. <laughs> what are we going to do? Our, our children are dying in miscarriage. Others are dying in early age uh, after being newborn. What's happening? What can we do about this? I'm sure they had tried human reasoning and solutions. Call in hydrologists. Engineers, astronomers even later maybe. I mean, they tried everything. They couldn't hardly believe that there was a sinful root. Do you know what the word radical means? To get to the root of the problem. They needed a radical answer to a serious problem. We need discernment about the root problem of our day and our world. The Bible says that there is a fall of mankind that occurred when Adam and Eve sinned. And God said in Genesis three seventeen and 18, Cursed is the ground. Because of your toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow up among it. We have a fallen world. God never intended this to be a world of tsunamis and earthquakes and hurricanes. Adam was to tend the garden. It was beautiful and perfect, but when sin entered into man's world, it was polluted and corrupted. But our world is in a precarious place right now. I read that in July of 1994, astronomers said, we've never seen anything like this. This is the worst of times. They saw a, a meteor the size of An Alp Mountain, explode with chunks on Jupiter. And at the same time, relief workers trying to work amidst the butchering and the devastation of the tribal warfare in Rwanda said, we have never seen anything like this. It was the worst of times for them. But the butchery and the violence go on. There are still planetary dangers out there. We still live in a world of evil and sin and its collateral damage. Because, you see, a uh, uh, sin still affects our world. A uh, couple of years ago, Only about two years or less, University of Washington did a study of 25 popular products on the market that gave off a scent or a fragrance. And do you know that in every single one of them, there was a toxic, dangerous chemical that was not listed on the bottle or the dispenser? And many of them had multiple toxicities in their makeup. That's called duplicity. That's called sin. In Arlington Cemetery right now, there is the grave of three servicemen who died in our nation's only fatal nuclear reactor situation. 1961, July 3rd. These three servicemen were to reactivate the reactor after a holiday shutdown. They were to, one of them named John Burns was supposed to pull that rod out only four inches, but in anger apparently he pulled it out two feet and the thing exploded and all three were killed. And it was learned later in the investigation that there was a tension, there was anger, and perhaps jealousy and immorality even, maybe, possibly not sure, among the men and their wives. There is such pollution and toxicity to sin. But we need to understand the foolishness of philosophy in our world. They talk about climate change, no longer global warming. And that it threatens our world's extinction. And now everything from shutting down the Alaska pipeline to other things dealing with our environment. They're motivated wrongly by wrong philosophy. And here's what it is. A Marxist philosophy that sees a class warfare, so to speak. They're motivated by seeing that one group is oppressive and exploitive to the underprivileged. And therefore, the concern is that big business, or even white supremacy, or American nationalism, is exploiting the underprivileged of the world. And therefore, we have to do something about it. But then that goes into the other belief that everything is of equal value beetles and babies, sea turtles and babies. And that because everything is of equal value, mankind has no more rights or value than those animals of the creation. They have failed to understand the truth of Romans 1, that God has allowed us to go into this. He has given us over because we love the creature more than the Creator. Amen? Amen. And that's why pro-choice has ruled. And that's why... Seminary students at Union Seminary in New York City had a liturgical worship service where they gave offerings to some plants in vases. And they said, we are offering to the beings who sustain us. And therefore, here's another problem. Give the government more control of the economy because big government is better than big business. And therefore we can share the wealth, take it away from those who are oppressive and give to the underprivileged. It's a class warfare of Marxist origin. But God not only calls us to environmental discernment, but to exercise dominion and concern. We are the highest of God's creatures, the word of God says, but we are to have dominion over the earth and concern for our planet. We're not going to destroy the planet, by the way. God is going to, in, the, in His end-time plan, change and destroy and create a new world. Just look at Second Peter in Revelation. But we need to have respect but not worship for the creation. We need to be responsible to take care of God's garden. We need to do what is necessary to be conscientious. One day I remember how God convicted me of throwing trash down. What would Jesus do? Would Jesus throw trash around? No, of course not. And the Lord wants to show us that we are responsible and to glorify Him, not Mother Nature with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are stewards. But God calls us to spiritual action as well as discernment. And two things, a vessel and salt. Elisha said, give me a bowl, a vessel, and salt. And so he put the salt in the bowl. But it was to be a new vessel, meaning a clean one. God has called us to purity, That's how we make a difference by being different. That's how we embrace the truth of God about ourselves. And then he poured that salt into the impure, polluted waters and springs of Jericho. And you know what? God calls us to be the salt of the earth, doesn't he? Salt purifies, salt preserves But sometimes salt stings if it's on an open wound. And that's why the man of God is often not welcomed in the world. That's why the woman of God, of the Holy Spirit power, is not appreciated for telling the truth. We sting, but we also preserve. And you know what? From that time on, in the common good with the grace of God, those springs were perfect. And there was no more unfruitfulness and barrenness. When I was in Israel, I was given a drink by that same fountain. It's called Elisha's fountain or the Sultan's fountain because now they're Islamic. But the water was perfect and pure. But let me share one last thing. And this is is not a self-serving truth. The fourth truth is God as a solution for the pollution of generational arrogance. Elisha saw the seriousness of disrespect, while others only saw an object of derision. As he was coming out of Jericho, a group of young punks, like a street gang, made fun of him, mocked him, The Bible says there will be mockers in the last days. And they said, go up, old man. Go up, you bald head. They said it twice. Now, some of us are bald. What in the world? Who were these guys? One translation I read last night said young lads. No, they were young either teenagers or adults. When Isaac was 28, he was called the same term. At 28, Joseph was 39 and was called this. So these were not little kids. These were not middle schoolers. My wife the other day uh, went to a movie. I, I couldn't go. There were no guns, horses, or airplanes. It was a Jane Austen type film. And I had to pack anyway. And so she, I said, "Fine, go enjoy this," you know, with all the strange language. And uh, and so she goes to this film, and uh, in the movie theater, and guess what happened? A bunch of young kids. Talking, running up and down the aisle, leaving, talking on their cell phones. She urged them to be quiet, be respectful, and finally they wouldn't. So she got up and started to go to the manager, and as she went down those steps and it came down a little lower, one of those kids poured water all over her head. And of course she told the manager, but she came home soaking wet. We live in that kind of a disrespectful age. We, but we must not mock the truth of God. They were mocking what God had done. They said, go up, because they had somehow heard or seen Elijah disappear. And they were saying, in essence, God doesn't do this. You do this, old man. This was your doing. And when they used that term, go up, they were saying to Elisha, go ahead and die and go to heaven. We're done with you. Get out of here. They were mocking not only the truth of God, but the people of God. We must not disrespect the people of God. Even if there is a characteristic, unchangeable, inherited, visible, physical characteristic, some are bald and some are not. A bald friend of mine said, Some people have heads covered by hair, and others who are bald covered with brains. (laughs) Covered by brains. We must not mock people. And so, what did Elisha do? In Hebrew, he pronounced a curse upon them. What God had already anticipated, he knew what God was up to. And two bears came out, And really ripped up those young people, those young adults. It doesn't say they were killed. By the mercy of God, perhaps, as a testimony. And it wasn't him cussing them out, it wasn't him attacking them. No, he just turned them over to God. And God has a way of dealing with people with his judgment. I know I'm out of time, but let me just say, we need to be respectful to godly pastors. And a great word, a great, if you wish to read that, is in 1 Peter. But also Hebrews thirteen seven says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. We need to respect older adults. 1 Timothy 5, 1. Do not sharply rebuke an older man, but rather appeal to him as a father. Respect employers. 1 Timothy six one and two. They are worthy of all honor, not to be respect, disrespected. Parents, particularly. Hebrews twelve nine. We had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. All believers should be respected. Romans 12, 10. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Who are you honoring today? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? We want God to get all the glory, all the majesty, and all the honor. When God spoke to those in Malachi's day who were disrespectful, He said a very powerful word of judgment to them. And he said to them a word of judgment. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then, if I am a father, where is my honor? Where is my respect? Do you honor him enough to obey him? Do you love him enough? To yield to Him. Lord, forgive us for the pollution of our own sin that has affected this world. Cleanse our hearts, O God. If there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, save them today by your grace. Lord, if you could change bitter springs into fruitful water, You are the water of life, Lord Jesus. You are the giver of life, and you transform life. You change us from the inside out by your grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.